You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I have a special guest, one of my best friends, Stephanie Tomba, on the podcast today. How the heck are you, Stephanie? We are making it. It has been quite a week. Um, super, super thankful for you and Katie, though. Y'all are awesome. Thankful, thankful to be here. Thankful for a washer and dryer. Uh, that that has been a lifesaver this week for sure, for sure. Amen. You are probably one of the only people that moved during COVID nineteen crisis week one. Uh, I I didn't see very many people out there moving. Right. Apparently, other people should too, though. You know, you can get really good deals on houses right now. So I don't know. It's awesome. Well, Stephanie, a little bit about you that I know. You're a single mom, which is one of the main reasons I want to have you on the podcast today. You're also an artist. You're also a caseworker. You're also, uh, you also love unicorns. Your favorite color is pink. You have a lot of prescription sunglasses. I mean, that's pretty much it. Prescription sunglasses and pink and unicorns pretty much round me out as a person, I would say. <laughs> that's, that really kind of sums it up. Yeah. So, I mean, if I were to ask you, who is Stephanie Tomba? Could you paint a picture for our listeners? As a self-proclaimed four, I don't like being put in a box and I don't like labels. So I don't even like the four label. However, like you said, single mom is a label that I identify with. I'm also sober. And that is, that is one label that I do like. I'm very happy to be sober. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I celebrated nine years of sobriety this past December. Yeah, yeah, super excited about that. Super just grateful. I love creating art. Um, I was, Zuri and I had some creative time today. She used creative time to, uh, what did she do? She did some tap dancing. She did a little bit of drawing. It was, she was kind of all over the place. We are on spring break, so I'm kind of anti-schedule, but... For our sanity, I thought, all right, I will give this thing a try. And Zuri, Zuri is Zuri really likes schedules, so she was a big fan of it. It's good. Schedules are good for kids. I do remember one time you and Zuri were you were house sitting for a family that had many animals, and I know that animals are a great way to just kind of give kids activity. You could look after a bunny for like four hours, and that would be a great task for a child. I know that eventually Zuri lost that bunny. I don't know if you'd want to share that story. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a great activity for a child until you lose someone else's household pet, and then you do not get invited to house sit. Oh, you didn't get the invite anymore? It was done after that? Previously, they had scheduled us for another house sitting opportunity, and then they were very, very gracious about it. Um, but they kindly uninvited us to house it ever again. And I was fine with that because I was ridden with guilt and anxiety over the fact that we lost a pet. Do you know the name of the pet? If we could put a plug in in the show notes. It was just an abnormally large bunny. It was a freakishly large bunny. They had oh. one named P and one named Pod. And I don't know if we lost P or if we lost Pod. 
I feel like it was pod, but it could go either way. Tell us about Traffic 911, what, what you do with them. I was caseworker at, at Child Protective Services, worked there for a little over two years, been with Traffic 911, it'll be two years in July, previously had been an advocate for about a year and a half. So that looked like getting to meet with teenage girls, kind of in a mentor advocate role. And these are teens who have been sex trafficked or are at a high risk of being sex trafficked. I just came into a new role in January, intake coordinator. And so what that looks like is really working to better understand the girls we serve by creating a more formal intake process so that we can just better help them and get them connected with community resources, what's available in their areas. And then also I'm super excited to start doing support groups again. I had led support groups last fall and spring for the girls, and I'm really excited to get those started back up. We just saw a lot of fruit from that. We like to take them to places like the Arboretum, but then also want to do some like just college tours of local colleges, even with support groups, have some different people come in from just different professions to kind of help the girls understand, you know, what does it take to become a nurse? What does it take to become a doctor or a lawyer? Because a lot of these girls have, you know, really big dreams of going to college and doing these things. And we want to help them kind of understand, hey, this is what is going to be involved. If there's anyone I know that can speak life and hope into someone's future. Like that's your lane, Stephanie, and exposing people to hope. I think that is something that you do really well. How do you connect with these girls? Like what, what does that look like? Where's, where's traffic 911 meet the at-risk girl that is in this situation? If the girl has been trafficked and recovered, what that looks like, local Law enforcement will essentially call, they can call our 24-hour crisis hotline and we go directly to them. So we respond at the police station and we start working with them from that point. Uh, We really believe that in those initial, that initial crisis period is really important for us to meet them where they're at in that initial crisis period and beyond that. So we are in the field. We don't have an office space where they come to us. We we go to them. So we go visit them at their homes. If they are, if they end up going to a placement that's a little bit further out, we're going to go visit them there. And so we start working with them from those referrals from law enforcement. But we also take referrals from detention centers, shelters, and those are going to be maybe some more of the at-risk kids that we talk about that are don't necessarily meet that criteria of confirmed trafficking. But there are definitely some concerns that it's a possibility. Once patrol officers have brought the kids to the detective's headquarters, the offices, that's where we go meet them. Um, but then oftentimes, you know, they're going to go to the hospital afterwards to get checked out and whatever. And so we'll go with them to the hospital and then we'll even whatever's next after the hospital, if they're going back home, if they're going to foster care, we want to be with them each step of the way. It sounds like a very, I mean, traumatic experience. It is. It's very traumatic, you know, especially right I mean, right as they're coming out of trafficking. It's not, um, trafficking in the United States is very different than trafficking overseas. Um, not to get like too much in the weeds about it, but 
they are not always super grateful to be recovered at first. They have been very manipulated, coerced by their trafficker. Uh, one, that the police should not be trusted, that they want to be doing this, they can leave at any time, and that they're not a victim. They do not believe, they don't always believe they're a victim right away because that's what they've been told. And so a lot of times they're kind of angry about it. And underneath that, I can often see just a lot of fear with, with the being questioned, with going to a hospital. They're sitting in this hospital they've never been in before in a gown. And these two police officers are standing outside their door they've never seen before. You know, hospitals in general, being a patient at a hospital, just there's a power dynamic there. In that moment of realizing that power dynamic, we bring them a backpack, we bring them a, like a Happy Meal or Whataburger, whatever they want. Um, give them a blanket, give them clothes, you know, just something. We always bring a teddy bear in the backpack. And at first I thought that was kind of silly when I started working there. I thought, what teenage girl is going to want a teddy bear? Um, but I have seen so many 16, 17-year-old girls just hug that teddy bear so tightly. I was able, one girl I met at the hospital, she was already at the hospital. Um, she was actually being prepped to go into the operating room because she needed surgery immediately. I just handed her the teddy bear and had to get out. And I remember she just kind of asked me to hand her that teddy bear and just kept it with her the whole time. And it was just such a cool thing to see what that meant to her, you know? I love what you've been called to and watching you over the last few years, like single mom finishing school while working at CPS. Yeah, it was crazy. You are the real MVP. <laughs> like if anyone, uh, I used to do college ministry. If anyone at SMU was complaining about getting to class and coming to life group or whatever, I'm like, sit down. I know Stephanie Tomba. She has a child and she works for CPS and she goes to school. Quit it. I don't know. I don't know what it is about single moms, but it, it seems like you have unceasing capacity. Obviously you need rest, but there's something about being a single mom that equips you to be stretched it's a fine line it's a fine line between having a great capacity and being like now Steph are you do you have good capacity do you have a lot of capacity but are you using that capacity wisely or are you trying to like work outside of what God has for you God had gave me so much grace in that season but I absolutely saw how it affected my health my well-being for doing what I did in that very small time frame. I It was funny. I asked you the question, what is it like to be a single mom? And you said, I don't know how to answer that question because that's all I've known. Well, I don't know because <laughs> I've never been married. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I was raised in a two-parent household. So I, I did see that. I saw that, you know, um, play out in my childhood. Uh, I will say I, y'all mentor kids from fatherless homes that, that has gotten harder, the older, older she's gotten her not having a dad for sure. Um, before she was born, her dad, I was just like, you know what? I just need him out of the picture. I just need this to stop. Just kind of angry and 
done with it. And then after she was born, it really hit me like, this is a little girl who doesn't have a dad. And I see just the brokenness and I see what sin does to somebody. Um, and that's hard to reconcile. It's hard to see that I played a part in that, a big part, um, but also just being able to take that to Jesus, knowing that God redeems all things and that God takes our brokenness and just makes all things new. What it's like being a single mom is knowing that no matter what, I'm never gonna measure up. And, but being okay with that, you know? I remember being in, actually at World Mandate a few, a few years ago, and we were, listening, we were singing the song, um, Good, Good Father, and just thinking about like, I am never gonna be enough for Zuri because I can't be a dad and a mom, and thinking I'm just never gonna be enough and God just really speaking to me in that moment saying, you're right, you are never going to be enough because I'm her enough. It's okay. I'm the only one who is going to be enough for her. And that, that that's not your role to fill. Your role is to be her mother and guide her, but my role is to be her enough. I just have never forgotten that moment. That was like five years ago uh, because it just brought me into a new place of peace and of worth and not hustling for, I think Brene Brown, of hustling for our worthiness. For me, it's not about trying to fill both shoes or anything like that. I'm not trying to be her mom and dad. I'm just trying to be her mom and point her to Jesus because he's my enough and he's going to be, and I hope one day that he is her enough. What hurdles do single moms face that most people don't naturally think about? Obviously, like, yeah, there's big ones. We just talked about that. But I remember a conversation I had with you and Katie several months back that I don't think y'all realize this. But we're on the phone and I said, look, y'all, Zuri's bedtime is like 7, 7.30. Do y'all realize that means at 7, 7.30, I can't leave the house. <laughs> There is no grocery shopping that happens once Zuri is in bed. I mean, it sounds so silly, but it is kind of a hurdle. And, you know, we got to stop judging those moms at the grocery store at 10 o'clock at night with their three-year-old babies. I have absolutely done it. And I need to check myself because if I didn't have the people in my life who can come over and babysit Zuri when I need to go out at night to do something or to, you know, pick up medicine, pick up food, but it, it can be hard because it is hard to get everything done during the workday when you're trying to work, also buy groceries, also do, you know, whatever you, it, it is you need to do and still manage to get a child to bed on time at a decent hour. And I get at some point, you know, she'll be able to stay by herself at home, you know, probably when she's 18. Although I'm being totally serious. I really don't think she'll like ever be okay with staying at home by herself. <laughs> you know, it's, it, there's like some little things like that that are a little exhausting. Um, other hurdles. I, I would say like drilling things into the wall, I feel like has been a hurdle for you personally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not super handy. Gen general man things that our society has has deemed as manly power drills and stuff. Though I've seen you 
carry a power drill. I can use, I am getting better at using a power drill. I mean, it kind of offends me because, you know, I do feel like women can do things. <laughs> Men do. I am not one of those women. So it's a little disappointing. There have been a few times where I'm like, yeah, I could, I could use a man around to do some of these jobs. <laughs> Only a few times. Okay, only only a few situations. Yeah, we really aren't that useful, but um, <laughs> I want our mentors to understand more clearly the experience of a single mom and how it's different from their own experience of getting a babysitter to come once a week and going out on date nights, like. I don't think you're going out on date nights once a week. You're just trying to spend time with a friend once a week. <laughs> like, like what? And I'm trying to spend time with friends like once a month. <laughs> kind of my, uh, I realized literally on January 30th, I realized I was like, oh shoot, it's January 30th. I have not hung out with friends this month. So I better get out of the house. <laughs> I had, I had, I had taken a work, I had done a work retreat. So I'd spent two days away from Zuri. And then at the beginning of the month, I had helped a friend move across the country. So that was another two days. So I'd spent four days total away from Zuri, kind of like a week apart. So it had felt like a lot of time. And because of that, the other weekends, I didn't, I didn't want to leave her because if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to go hang out with friends on a weekend night, that means I'm going to have, I'm going to ask my parents if she can spend the night at their house, as opposed to just getting a babysitter, because as all parents know, babysitters are expensive. I used to be a babysitter and have a lot more compassion for all parents. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. So, you know, it, it's hard. And I mean, weeknights are kind of just out of the question. She's, I I can't bring her to my parents on a weeknight. She's got to be up for school and at school at seven fifteen in the morning. So um, it's hard to manage. And I want to be with her on the weekends because I pick her up after work. Maybe maybe five thirty some days. Maybe six thirty some days. And her bedtime is seven seven thirty. So there's just not a lot of time during the weekdays. What does it look like for you when you dream? for Zuri? Because I'm sure when you look at her, sometimes you have these moments where just like her as an adult, her as a grown individual, like what is the dream that, that you see when you think about Zuri when she's 18? I know obviously you said you don't want her to be stuck at your house, afraid of the dark, but are there any, are there any things that God's put on your heart to see Zuri become Okay, well, that question was not on the list, so you are kind of throwing <laughs> me for a loop here. But man, my my prayer for Zuri, I just pray over her. I just want her to know how much she's loved by God. I want her to know how much she's loved by me, but more importantly, just how much God loves her. I don't even think I realized how much God loves me until Zuri was born. I want Zuri to know how much she's loved before that. Because I've, I really believe that if somebody knows beyond a shadow of a doubt how much Jesus loves them, the rest will fall into place. There's not going to be all this searching. There's not going to be a whole identity crisis. We won't be filled with 
are we enough are we worthy because i feel like so much of my struggles were born out of that that deep longing of i'm not enough i don't feel loved i'm worthless and so my hope for her is just she knows i'm loved and not just by her mom but by god and I know my role, I have a role in that. I have a role to show God's love to her, but I know that it, it's gotta come from God, you know? I think that'd be a good question for every mentor to ask the the parent of the kid they're mentoring is like, hey, what is what is your dream for your child? And like to connect to, I don't know, because I imagine the bond that you have with Zuri is so much stronger um, than I I think many parents who maybe feel like they're competing for, I don't know, relationship with their child of like, I don't, I don't know, good cop, bad cop. You're both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but just like how much more do single moms have dreams for their kids and like desires for, um, yeah, just who they will become. And I think that's beautiful. Okay. Steph, want to ask you about single moms and the church in the United States. There are 15 million single moms. 67% of those single moms are not actively attending a local church. And I even heard that less than 1% of churches in the United States have a a program or an outreach to single parents. So that's interesting just to think about, but what's keeping single moms from being a part of a local church? I think it is hard for single moms to be a part of a local church when there is such a stigma around being a single mom. I think this stigma is lessening, but I think it is still there. I think can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for me. I still feel it, whether that is, you know, just something inside of me, um, or that's, you know, some small things people are doing. I can, I can still feel it. And like you said, even in the, the fact that there's less than one person that has programs that says something to me that there are 15 million single moms and yet only one percent programs for us where, where you're putting your money and your resources and your time says what you value. So if none of your money, your resources, your time are going to single moms, to me it says you're not really valuing single moms. And that's kind of like a big statement, but it's just just to over oversimplify it, that's kind of what it says from that, you know, one statistic. But also um even for me growing up in church and in that whole purity culture, especially in the Bible belt in the South, uh, we were all taught, you know, sex outside of marriage is one of probably the worst things you can do. Getting pregnant outside of marriage is just really, really, really the worst thing in your life that can happen probably more so more so than just having sex outside of marriage. Getting pregnant is the big problem. It's not just about having sex. It's about people knowing it happened. It's about people seeing the sin, not the sin happening. 
Now, I'm not saying that wasn't the message that was spoken, but that was the message I internalized. And so having to um, have the message I internalized become true in my life uh, was really hard. And I had to deal with that. And I had to bring that to God and release that back to him. And I did, you know, ask forgiveness for that because I had messed up big. And um, I, I, I saw that the mess I created uh, really had is going to have huge lasting effects on another person's life. But again, trusting God that he is bigger than my mistakes and he is going to make all things new. It can be really hard getting plugged in at church as a single mom. Again, like we talked about earlier, finding the time in your schedule. Uh, I mean, with anybody, I get it. Like if you're in school and working, as a parent, and then you're looking at, you know, the life group, the connect group, community groups, whatever they call it, because you look and they've got groups for married people and they've got groups for families and they've got groups for singles. And you're like, well, which group of those do I fall into? Because I don't know if I really, I can't really go to the singles group that meets at 8 PM on Wednesday nights. And I can't go to the mom's play day groups that meet at 11 AM on Tuesdays. And I can't go to the married group. And I don't know if I can go to the families group because I don't have a husband. And so, you know, I, I, I do love it when they have like ones for everybody because I love, I don't, I, I was in a single mom's group for a season and then we, um, we didn't have it anymore. And that was such a bummer because I, I really, really love that. But I also love being in a group with all different kinds of people because I want to get to know married people and I want to get to know families and I want to get to know people older than me and younger than me and single people like I love learning from people who have different experiences than me and so I love that and I want that diversity and that community Um, I think that struggle of churches and wanting people to be so with other like-minded people in similar life situations and I get that but at the same time it puts everybody in boxes that people with different situations kind of feel very excluded and even with trying to make friends I meet you know a lady and I want to get to know her and be her friend but oh she's married or she has a family so it feels like I can't really hang out with her family or her and her husband it's got to be like, we've got to do coffee or she's got to make some like special time for me. I can't just be in, we can't just do life together, which is disappointing because I feel like I'm missing out on that. Like I've been so grateful for my friendship with you and Katie because I, I'm just, I'm grateful to be able to do life with y'all and see y'all's marriage because I, I mean, I haven't seen, I don't have a lot of married couple friends and it's such a blessing to be able to witness a healthy marriage because obviously I am not married and I want to know what that looks like. I want to see what it looks like for a man to serve his wife and to love her well. I also want Zuri to see that. Uh, I don't, I don't really think always think about like Zuri having a father figure in her life. Although my dad does play a huge role in her life and is with her all the time, but he, he fills the grandfather role very well. And so I'm glad that she has men in her life who are great men, 
but I think she is well aware that they're, you know, they're not, they're not fathers, but I do want her to see good men in her life. And so, um, I want to be friends with the whole family and not just the women in the family. And so that's something that I want from a church that I don't always feel like I can, can get. I love to talk about like what the people of churches have done for me and the way like God has used the church to provide for us because I mean, I have just been blown away by the generosity of the church. Um, I mean, they've been absolutely amazing since um, even before Zuri was born. Can you share some stories of church wins in the single mom category where you're just like, way to go church. I would love to. Thanks for asking. Um, so I showed up, I had been living in Chicago. I showed back up at my parents' church when I was eight months pregnant. I was so nervous. I was weirdly more nervous about my tattoos than I was about being eight months pregnant. I remember talking with my mom, like, oh my gosh, I have to wear a cardigan. I can't let people see my tattoos. Like, don't worry about the fact that like, you know, I'm eight months pregnant and unmarried, but you know, whatever. Um, so I, I really felt like in the past when I had struggled, there had been times where I'd come to people in the church and I needed some, like some real practical help. And I kind of been let down. And that is not what happened. Jesus's people just showed up with diapers, with beautiful dresses, like not just the practicals, with like beautiful like quilts, like handmade quilts. My love language is gifts. And God just like spoke to me with the most beautiful things. Jesus just poured out in the most beautiful ways through his people People brought us meals. I remember we were getting all these awesome gifts and like even before she was born um, and I had just gotten a bill from my doctor's office and I had thought like, man, I'm so grateful for all these gifts. But like right now I really like need some cash to pay this doctor's bill. A couple days later, a Bible study gave me a Visa gift card and it was just more than what the doctor's bill was. And God, I felt like just spoke to me throughout that whole time. Hey, I am going to provide for you. And before that, I kind of had this picture of what single motherhood would look like. I'm going to be struggling. I'm just going to work these job, minimum wage jobs that um, don't really matter to me. You know, we're just, this is what life is going to look like. It's just going to be a struggle and I'm just going to do what I have to do. And God just was like, had a whole other plan for us. And Zuri got these gifts that were just completely impractical, like um, a Tiffany's piggy bank, which is just the most useless gift for an infant. Um, <laughs> but I just think that is just kind of in just this way of like Jesus speaking to me of like, I want to shower you above and beyond. Like I'm giving you what you don't even deserve. Okay. It's not about what you did. It's about how much I love you. I love you so, so much that I just want to bless you abundantly. In June of that year, when we did the parent-child dedication, I remember I was standing at the end of the line. There's you know, probably seven couples in front of me, all couples, and I'm just standing there in front of the entire church feeling very uncomfortable being 
just me up there. And as it gets to my turn, the pastor who, you know, also happened to be my dad at Northwest, um, got to me and each time he um, prays for somebody, they ask people to stand up who came to support them. He got, I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, a bunch of people know me. There's going to be some people standing for me. When he got to me, he asked, you know, if anyone came to support Stephanie and Zuri, please stand up. I look up and the entire congregation stood up. And for me, that was just this moment where God said, you may be a single mom, but you're not doing this alone. And I just never forgot that moment. I just thought, what would it look like? What would it look like if this is how the church responded to every single mom, to every pregnant woman who walked through their doors? It's really not complicated. We're just asking people to love like Jesus does, to just stand up, you know, to just stand up. People have blessed me with free childcare so much. There's a family still from Northwest who watches Zuri twice a week after school. I remember when I was finishing my undergrad, I had to do an internship. So for three months, I wasn't getting paid. And I honestly was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. My rent was $695. And I was having a graduation party. And I thought, I really didn't expect people to bring gifts to my graduation party. And I thought if I could just, but maybe if I, if I get $695 for rent, I'll be golden. I guess it's tacky to talk about money. I like to talk about money because I love to hear how God moves. Well, I was shocked. Again, I don't know why I keep being shocked. Um, people showed up to my graduation party. And I really, I invited a lot of people because there was so many people who had got me through that, my undergrad, that I really was just bringing these people together to celebrate what he had done. I, people had given me double that. And again, it was just like, God was, and I had been really worried. I've been like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent next month. And again, God was just like, no, it's going to be okay. I'm going to provide for you again last. I mean, even up from like a year and a half ago, I, or two years ago when my car got totaled and I was trying to figure out how to get a new car and I got it, I got a car and found out somebody had helped me with that. I mean, God just is always just showing up saying, Hey, I'm going to provide. And in, in big ways like that, but also in ways like how, we are in the middle of a crazy world crisis. And so I've got kind of small problems right now, but kind of big for us. Like Zuri needed medication last night. I had a really good friend named Stephen Murray who dropped off medication at our door because I'm not supposed to leave my house. And people calling me and checking up. And I, I talked with another 
with a mom friend last night who said, you know what, you really need to make a schedule. And so today I made a schedule and she talked about like, you really need to push screen time back as far as possible. And I wanted to tell her, look, we're just trying to get through the day, but it's like, no, this is a good word. And we did that and we pushed screen time back and we didn't have screen time all day long. So it's like, you know, we're going to do more. We're going to, this is going to be okay. But like just so many, um, there's just been so many people from the church community who have supported us, loved us, encouraged us, whether that is babysitting or rent or, you know, um, food, all the things in between. And again, it's just so cool. And I'm so grateful to be on this side of, um, to be on the side of this and say, wow, look how God, um, look how God provides and God just keeps providing through his people. Stephanie, loved having you on the podcast. We'll put Stephanie's social media and email in the show notes so you can connect with her later. Steph, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. Steph, who is your favorite mentor in a movie and why? I feel like Coach Herman Boone. I mean... Remember the Titans, let's go. I mean, how can you not name him? I mean, what a guy. I That was one of our favorite movies when I think it came out on maybe I was in like fifth or sixth grade and I, re- I watched that again recently and I just started bawling in the opening credits. I mean, I just cried throughout the whole movie. That guy's amazing. However, I mean, Danny Ocean, the way he mentored, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, George Clooney? Who's the guy? Was really Matt, Matt Damon? Matt Damon. Matt Damon.